This is the Lightning Junkies podcast with your host, Chaz. On this week's episode of the podcast, we have Richard Myers, and we're talking about Lot 49 and L2, maybe some other stuff. Before that, a message from your friends at the Lightning Junkies podcast. If you feel like this podcast is a value in your Bitcoin lightning journey, please consider supporting us by listening to us on Breeze Wallet or any of the other value for value apps at newpodcastapps.com. For other ways to support the podcast, please visit lightningjunkies.net forward slash support. There you will find the places to listen to the podcast as well as ways to support us with Bitcoin over the Lightning Network. Help keep this podcast ad-free and support us however you can. Now on with the show. doing today Richard doing great looking forward to the chat fantastic so you know a while ago I can't even remember now I think maybe in 2018 2017 maybe even 2016 I can't remember how old Gotenna is but um I I picked up some Gotennas um because they seemed pretty cool uh at that point, you were not working for them yet, I don't believe. And I don't believe Samurai Wallet had released their um, like Mule Tools stuff yet. I think it was just before they did that, so I think in 2016. Um, but I remember writing a article on yours.org, if anyone wants to make fun of that for a moment. But I was writing an article on there about the kind of idea that Samurai Wallet ended up building out later of where, well, of actually of kind of copying um, Andreas Antonopoulos's idea from a, a YouTube video he had called The Long Arc of, of Technology or something like that. Basically kind of laying out the different ways that you could, you know, possibly use Bitcoin in a more adversarial environment. So uh, Samurai kind of created this tool that would allow you to, you know, transmit your raw Bitcoin transaction over a Gotenna and transmit it, you know, out amongst the, the, the mesh network there. So bringing you on, I think, makes a lot of sense because it seems like this is uh, what you've been working on is kind of the next logical extension of that, you know, being in an adversarial environment and, you know, having uh, ways to, you know, run Bitcoin and run the Lightning Network and not necessarily need to have Internet yourself um, and have ways of kind of working around that. But before we jump into all the nitty gritty of all that, um, I would love to hear how you first got started on Bitcoin and kind of what draw you into that into, into this world here. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think my story for Bitcoin generally is is like most people, you know, you read about it at some point and it sort of marinades for a while and and then uh, you know, just that interest continues to grow. Um, but specifically about Gotenna, um, it's interesting. I was just actually going back and trying to get the dates right here, but I would say my my first sort of contact with Gotenna was I think I saw an article on Twitter or, or maybe in a post or something about, about them on Twitter. And at about the same time, I saw a post from Nick Zabo where he was talking about um, this idea. And as it says, he says, for ideal security, every node would talk directly with every other node. Uh, but short of that, mesh networks plus wide area broadcasts like the, he was commenting on the Blockstream satellite, which was August 2017 when they announced that. Uh, and so I sort of put those two together and I, I sort of... I 
and I commented about Gotenna, and they they sort of responded back in a positive way that um, they agreed that sort of Gotenna would all you know would sort of fit for that kind of use. Um, so I guess that sort of kicked it off, and and from there I actually began a discussion on first their uh, discussion board, and then eventually with their CEO uh, Daniela Perdomo about this idea, and she was very interested in it, and it, and she had a interesting. Um, see if I can find the quote she had here. She said about, um, about lightning or sorry about, um, yeah, so she, I don't have the exact words she said, but it was basically this idea. She was very intrigued by the idea of a protocol sort of incentivizing its own use. So that was sort of the way she was looking at it. And I mean, it happened that Gotenna was also accepting Bitcoin quite early. Um, but, but what she was really interested in wasn't you know, it was sort of this overall idea that a, a, a protocol, in this case, Bitcoin, um, actually incentivized its own use. Um, and I guess you could see that sort of being the minor infrastructure got built up and, the you know, people, the software development infrastructure, you know, sort of organically formed. Um, so anyway, those discussions matured over time. And, and I, I did some sort of write-ups of, of ways I thought Bitcoin could be used to incentivize and basically solve a problem for Gotenna which is how do you get people to run relays? How do you essentially get people to leave their Gotenna mesh device on for other people to relay and try to build out this, this network? And it's a hard problem. I mean, she talks about it as a zero start problem. Um, I mean, every network has this problem. Go, I mean, even Bitcoin, you could say, had this problem until you had somebody to send Bitcoin to, you know, until you had your Hal Finney's, um, there's really no network. Uh, so, so yeah, that was the problem we went out to solve and that eventually, you know, went on for a while. And, um, you know, I was enthusiastic enough that I kind of quit my job. I, I've been working in a soft as a software developer for a long time, uh, mostly C++. Uh, so I quit my job of 17 years or 16 years, I guess at that point, and, um, went to work for Gotenna to pursue this idea of adapting the, Go- uh, adapting, uh, protocol, creating a protocol that could be built on Bitcoin to um, incentivize people to create a mesh network. That was the um, sort of way it got started. From there, I did a few things. One is I, um, I can't remember if the Samurai guys had already been in touch with Gotenna. It was just about that time, though. So they had been working together, um, and I, I helped out uh, with testing, and, and we ended up demoing it in um, Prague at the... Um, I can't think of the name of the conference there, but uh, it's the cypherpunk conference that happens there in Prague in the fall. And uh, yeah, that was that was sort of how it all got started. And I did two things. I mean, basically, I had two jobs at Gotenna. One was to pursue this idea of a protocol. And I, I did a lot of research and, you know, looked pretty broadly at other ways people were doing this. Um, and then the other the other part of it was to create prototypes, things like TXTenna and support those rest of the community who wants to build stuff. Uh, using Gotenna to further Bitcoin, so yeah, so that was uh, that was Gotenna, and I, I yeah, I've done that, did that at Gotenna for about three years, and you could sort of see it as them funding Bitcoin open source development, at least in this narrow, useful niche for them, for about three years. That that ended at the beginning of this year, but I'm very grateful for them to be so f- sort of far sighted. So I, yeah, that was it was a great experience. So let's take a a small step back here just for just in case any of our listeners don't know specifically what Gotenna is. Do you want to briefly let them know what what the actual uh, device is here? (laughs) Right. So, yeah, Gotenna Mesh, it's a you can sort of think of it as a is a data walkie talkie. 
So it's something that pairs to your mobile phone via Bluetooth and allows you to send basically an SMS message. And that SMS message goes from the Bluetooth to this little device. It sort of looks like a USB and a little oversized USB stick. Um, And you can hang it on your backpack or hang it off your hat. And um, what it'll do is then broadcast over the rate over a radio, a long range radio, much longer than Wi-Fi or Bluetooth um, to any other go meshes radios that happen to be in range. And if uh, you can do it as a, either as a broadcast where everybody will see it or you just do it as sort of a person to person. And then for them, it just shows up as in an app as a, as a text message. So this is the idea here is if you're out, for instance, if you're out um, hiking in the mountains or some some place where there is no uh, mobile sort of cellular data or cellular connectivity, um, you're, you can still use your phone to can, to talk to other people. And that's probably its most popular use is, is for people who are sort of off grid uh, to just keep in touch with other people in their party around. That's basically, and it's got a battery, so it's totally self-contained. It lasts about a, a day. Um, and the range varies. It depends sort of how high up you are and, you know, if there's line of sight. Uh, it doesn't need line of sight, but of course it goes, the, our furthest range tests, I want to say it was something like 12 miles or something when somebody was up in an ultralight. So there was obviously very little uh, interference between those ultralights. Um, but I would say it's about more like uh, maybe a few miles if you're in a more urban setting. Um, but that's still substantially further than Wi-Fi, which is what most people are probably familiar with. Uh, and and range is is range and the ability to multi-hop. That's the other. Uh, those are the sort of two features that a GoTenna radio is really built upon. So one is it has much longer longer range than you know a standard example Wi Wi-Fi or Bluetooth. But also, if the person you're trying to communicate with isn't uh, within one hop, they're not within one radio range. If there's a radio there, it'll multi-hop through that radio and it can go, you know, arbitrarily number of hops. I think it's probably limited to 10 right now, but, um, but 10 hops will get you quite far. Um, that, that will cover a very large area. Um, if you have units, you know, if you have people running mesh units and, and having them available to do that relay. So did I miss anything? You're a, you're a owner. Did I miss any key features there, you think? <laughs> I don't think so. I think, I think you nailed it pretty well there. Um, and I think you at least brought up something interesting in my mind here. Um, maybe it's a kind of a tangent, but, um, you know, the kind of go tennis system being a kind of rough analogy for the lightning network. Is that going too far there kind of stretching a little far? I would agree with you. And that's why in the sort of research that, that I did early on at Gotenna, we, we very rapidly kind of like uh, homed in on the Lightning Network is really the solution for this problem of incentivizing relays. Um, there are some key differences, though. And one, one difference that's sort of interesting is we think about the Lightning Network while it's designed now, sort of a lot of the technology that's gone into the Lightning Network is for privacy, uh, this whole idea of onion routing, for example. And the reason for that is because um, just the way the internet is right now, you don't really have privacy. I mean, if you connect directly to another node, Maybe you can encrypt your traffic, but the metadata of uh, your IP address connecting to somebody else's IP address is something that could easily um, compromise your, your privacy. Just this, and this is like Snowden to reveal, showed this for phone records, but obviously data records, it's even more true. Um, but with mesh networks, you, you have a, a kind of a privacy advantage in that it's omnidirectional. So that, that sort of changes a little bit how you could do lightning over something like a mesh network. 
um, versus uh, sort of the way we, we do internet right now. So, you know, you're kind of working for Gotenna. Um, was Global Mesh Labs your kind of, like, I don't know how you structured this, but like, is it like your side company that you use to develop um, these these technologies, basically Lot 49, and kind of get it out there? Yeah, this this isn't, I mean, this is something that I was involved in. So I would say it, was a, it wasn't until probably 2019, it was early 2019. And the decision was sort of made that it's really a branding thing. From a branding point of view, we had sort of two main customer bases at Gotenna. One is the commercial side of things, which is the, you know, the Gotenna mesh, which you're familiar with. But we also sold quite a, and we're selling increasingly more um, to the government sector. So this would be um, first responders, you know, police and fire, but also military, um, border patrol, things like that. I guess for those customers, the whole sort of <laughs> cypherpunk anarchistic things we were trying to do with Gotenna wasn't something that they were really interested in. So basically, rather than putting out a lot of sort of stuff under the Gotenna label, we created this Global Mesh Labs. That was sort of one aspect of it. But the other aspect of it was we wanted to expand beyond Gotenna from the standpoint of other vendors and other other teams, basically. So it was always an open source project. So even though there are certain aspects of Gotenna, which is like the firmware and such is closed source, um, all the software we built on top of it was open source. So Global Mesh Labs was also a place to sort of be a, a, a forum and a sort of place to house those open source projects and try to appeal to other even hardware manufacturers who might be making mesh technology. Because we really envisioned this something that, you know, we were trying to build something that other um, people would build on from a software and hardware standpoint. So we didn't want it to be too much branded with Gotenna for that reason. It wasn't a, just a Gotenna project. We wanted something that, that um, sort of could live outside of that. So, yeah, so I think that was, that was the th- thinking behind uh, making a Global Mesh Labs as a sort of a different moniker for what we were doing. Maybe this is my kind of outsider's perspective, just kind of watching, you know, everything on Twitter or what have you. But I was, you know, kind of in, in around that time in like 2018, 2017. I remember looking at Go10 and being like, it seems like the use cases are somewhat limited for the moment. Um, I was, you know, looking at what people were doing locally. Like there were some people that are, I'm not going to say exactly where, but there, there are people that are... Uh, you know, taking GoTennas and similar devices, hooking them up to like amplifying antennas or something like that, and being able to push the the uh, distance of the transmission um, to be far beyond the normal scope, like in the inside of the city, like 15 miles or something like that, instead of like you were saying, like two or three miles. Do you think that, you know, before we get into the nitty gritty of it, do you think that... You know, before we get into Bitcoin and Lightning, that the Gotenna is somewhat limited, given the fact that there isn't this incentive yet for people to care about this stuff. Yeah, I think you're talking about the, the what they call the Moan project. It was a great name. It's a mother of all nodes. So people were breaking these things open and putting, like you said, bigger antennas on it. Um, you know, that's not something everybody could do. But there is a, you know, like I said, the sort of zero start problem, the chicken and the egg. Nobody it's hard for it to achieve what it can, you know, even though it could hop 10 hops, generally people were going one or two hops at most. Um, so a lot of the technology that was in these, that, that is in these devices isn't really, you know, used to its fullest. So, 
until you get a certain critical threshold of people running these things, um, it's hard to say, um, you know, how useful it is beyond a small group. And that, that's sort of why the, the military customers, of course, they're obligated to run them sort of, you know, what if you've got a team out there doing something, uh, fighting a forest fire, they're all going to run their meshes. And so you get the full benefit. Um, but if it's just ones and twos, and people don't have their mesh on at the same time, or they're not, you know, not doing that, um, you know, not kind of working together, then yeah, so it's, it's hard to get the full usefulness out of a mesh network um, versus a centralized network. I mean, your cell phone works. I like to compare this sometimes to how do you launch a cellular network? Well, there, you just invest billions of dollars to build all of these towers so that everybody within a certain geographical area, when they turn on their phone, they get signal. Um, but, but with a bottom-up network, a mesh network isn't top-down. There is no necessarily one entity that's going to deploy all this sort of, you know, buy up the bandwidth and, and deploy these, these uh, units everywhere. It's, it's got to come from the bottom-up. So, so, yeah, I think you really needed something like an incentive system for this to work. And it's, you know, what you're incentivizing isn't just people to be relays, but also people to be gateways to the non-mesh network. So at the edges... Um, you'd like your messages to be able to travel further distances. Maybe somebody's got a satellite uplink or they've got a, or just an internet connection so that if you send a message that to somebody who isn't in a local area that it can keep going. Um, so that bootstrap is really important. And there's another, another thing too, that I, I kind of, you know, I obviously was a salesman for Bitcoin within the organization because I was sort of the only Bitcoin guy there. And, and one, one sales point I think for lightning and Bitcoin in general is that, you don't just get a really strong piece of technology, but you also get a community that's a very enthusiastic. So your core seed community could be the Bitcoin community, because obviously this is a group that's enthusiastic about the promise of a decentralized communication medium. I mean, that's you are an example because you bought one early <laughs> compared to like sort of most people. So there's that, but you also get the the technical community. So and this has actually played out over the last three years. A lot of what I sort of proposed for for Lightning, uh, for how we would use Lightning, has been built by other people, has been built by, for instance, Sphinx Chat. We can get into that later. But uh, this idea of communication apps using Lightning um, has has really gone far without, you know, it being specifically built by Gotenna. This is just, uh, you know, the rest of the community building it. So, yeah, so the, the community is a great seed community to get this network sort of jump-started. Um, but also a technology community that is building it, if maybe for other reasons, but a lot can be repurposed. You don't have to start from scratch. And that that would be contrasted. I mean, you remember 2017, 2018, that was the age of the ICO. You know, that that the conventional wisdom is you create a token and then you get a lot of VC money and you pre-sell your tokens or, or you pre-sell the tokens. I forget the whole model, but I guess a lot of people did both. Uh, and then that's what you use to pay your developers to build the, you know, to build whatever it is you want to build. Um, so going with Lightning it wasn't the conventional way people built protocols to build on top of an open source protocol. Um, but I think over time, it sort of proved out because the longevity from using the, the existing Bitcoin technology is, is going to be far superior than some fly-by-night ICO approach to, to building a mesh network. There's basically two questions though that came from that. So the first one I would say is, again, I'm kind of getting reminded of the Lightning Network when you talk about mesh networks, um, because I feel like early on when Lightning was kind of more of a quote unquote new thing, um, when it went, I believe, hit mainnet in 2018, most people, I think at that point, didn't really care about uh, the Lightning Network. 
And then if you look at today, you have um, you have Plebnet, you have <laughs> Rings of Fire, and these kinds of bootstrapping communities um, that are kind of emergent. I think let's not uh, waste any more time here. Let's go ahead and jump into Lot 49 itself and begin to look at what it is itself here. So I've... I, I definitely know about like basically everything surrounding Lot 49, but I know basically nothing about Lot 49 itself. Could you give me like a brief introduction and then we can kind of get into the meat and potatoes of it and you know what it requires, why it makes sense, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, you can really think of, I mean, Lot 49 is really just lightning, but adapted to this use case. So the use case has sort of two main features that sort of standard lightning may not have, although now now has one of them is one is to make it a a way to um, send essentially short messages over the lightning network so through a multi-hop network where every relay is receiving some payment for relaying the text of the message so that's a little bit like the send pay or the sphinx chat sort of idea of of lightning so that that wasn't really uh, existing when we started but now it's it's really sort of taken off so that's one thing that maybe the standard lightning didn't have at that time. The other thing, which it still doesn't have, is a different, um, I guess you could say, different aspects that adapt it for radio and not internet. And, and some of those aspects are things like making it low bandwidth. I would say most of my emphasis has been on, or most of the emphasis of the Lot 49 protocol is how do we make this as low bandwidth as possible? And part of that is to do different kinds of routing because the routing is not like, it's not routing over an internet um, system. It's routing over a radio system where you've got one plus in that you don't have to worry about surveillance in the same way as you do over the internet, but has another aspect in that, um, you know, you're, you're, uh, you don't have fixed routes. The routes are sort of dynamically built. So yeah, those are the two, the two things that basically lot 49 does is, is to envision how to adapt lightning into this radio network and, and then how to adapt it to incentivize the exchange of messages. Would you say that Lot 49 is ready to rock today, or are there some some technical things that need to happen first before it could actually be put into use? Well, yeah, there's there's quite a lot that has to that has to get done. We did a lot of tests, so that was sort of where we left it in 2020, I guess, was doing tests over different mediums. So one was doing it over over the Gotenna Mesh, but the other was doing it over things like ham radio. So it'd be ham radio would, is a really complementary technology because it's really just a little, lot more powerful, long-range version of a Gotenna mesh. We did things like um, some of these experiments we did were to show how low could you go as far as bandwidth. So how you know what messages do you really need? Um, and like the, a good example of that would be, for instance, taking out the onion routing because every packet of data you send us sort of over the over the uh, lightning network now has this 1300 bytes of routing information which we didn't include because our, our messages were so small that that was basically kind of dominated the whole communication if you included it and then around that you know we took out things like exchanging routing information as well so you could say that lot 49 uses uh, in some ways it's more like a internet routing where you just pass it on to the next node near you and then they send it to their next node, but you're not pre-computing the route. So we did a lot of experiments like that. But I, but the next step, the step that we really needed to do next is to build all this into a mobile app, you know, that could talk to a GoTenna Mesh, for example. And that's sort of where we're at now. 
there are some problems with that. So first of all, it has to run on a mobile phone. And I think, as you know, we're still sort of limited in the technologies that exist for building um, lightning on, on mobile that is completely disconnected from the internet so that you can do it with LND. You can't really do it with C lightning, you know, now starting to see things like the LDK, for example, where you can more pick and choose which parts of lightning you're, you're actually running. So that is sort of our next step is to now that, especially now that the lightning development kit is in there sort of 1.0 uh, would be to build an app and strip out the parts we don't want and add the parts we do that are specific to sort of running over radio. So I think that's probably a good summary of where we're at now with that. Is that something that's going to go forward or are you needing to kind of like raise money or get something else going in order to make that happen? Yeah, well, I mean, I, the hope is that it's something that the community can help build. I, I don't see this as something that we would really raise money for. I mean, I suppose if there was a strong ecosystem, you know, demand for it, probably it would be something we could get grants for. So, I mean, that might be one way to raise money to get people to work on this. Um, so, yeah, that that's a possibility. I don't know. Um, I mean, working for a company like Dotena, they were a VC-funded company. So, I did talk to a lot of VCs about this. And um, unfortunately, the business model is not necessarily as attractive for those sort of non-Bitcoin funding, you know, not Bitcoin focused people. It really has to be somebody who's really interested in funding um, sort of Bitcoin ecosystem more generally, I think, to see this happen. And and I I think those people do exist, but um, there's quite a lot we can do um, just with the development community as it is now. Like I said, you've got um, what's going on with SendPay, that, you know, that kind of uh, technology. Um, so there's a lot of parts of this that are happening, but maybe the radio part is the part that probably is, is a little harder to get started. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. I'm trying to dig in here and trying to understand better. I'm trying to think of like how, how things could possibly work if you stripped out, you know, ABC, XYZ. Um, like, what are you left with? How, how does the how does the system kind of cope with you kind of doing an end run around it in a way? So you're kind of talking about how you would kind of push like a lot of this work on to the next node and all that. Like, is that something that you would say is scalable? Like, are you just relying on, on people that have, you know, regular clear net lightning nodes, for example, to do a lot of this kind of heavy lifting for these uh, mesh nodes? The nice thing about Lightning, and and that is that is that it's more like these these communication protocols work as long as your peer is running the same protocol. So, um, sort of the way I would envision this working is there's going to be a certain number of hops that are running a sort of Lot 49 speaking to each other with this sort of stripped down version of Lightning, this Lot 49 version of Lightning. Um, but then eventually it will hit a, a node that's connected to the internet one way or the other, a gateway node, and from there a payment would happen uh, or you know, basically send a communication, but also a payment would then happen um, using the normal lightning protocol. So it has to stay compatible at the sort of HTLC level. So those, those are, that's sort of the minimum required functionality that has to be compatible. Um, but the routing is the place where it's pretty much going to differ and the, and the way, and then maybe the, the minutia of how each node communicates could also be different. Um, in order to minimize communication, uh, you know, bandwidth. So, yeah, that's that's sort of how I envision it working from a global standpoint. But you do have you have similar problems that you know, if you want to send to a node that's near you, 
and they're offline or they may not even be there. They might've walked away sort of, um, you know, I think a hard hurdle is with mesh more, maybe more than, than sort of internet lightning or, or I say radio lightning versus internet lightning is the nodes will be a lot more ephemeral. So, um, you know, you might have to open more channels or have a different system for that. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's one, one area that is going to be sort of difficult. And the other is if you're using it primarily for messaging and you're, you're dealing with very low payments, I know, um, you've talked to Fiat Joff, I think, and he, he brings up quite often this idea of streaming very low cost payments. Um, and that's something that, you know, we have to deal with when you're dealing with this sort of system. So maybe you're making payments for not just each message, but you're making payments for a series of messages, and then you're just sending those those messages between hops. So, yeah, so there's, there's still quite a lot that needs to be sort of worked out, but it, I, the key is to get just a prototype out there so we can start sort of examining these issues. Uh, that's that's pretty much where we're at now. I mean, I'm, maybe that's just my own development system too. You can think about this stuff a lot in a sort of theoretical sense, but until you actually have a working app, uh, it's really hard to, to figure out what's important, what technical hurdles are important. And I mean, you mentioned early lightning. I, I would say that was certainly the case for early lightning. We, I mean, I remember using it from the beginning and having a lot of failed payments, you know, almost, I guess, the majority being failed payments. Uh, now I use it today and it's, it's just no comparison. And that's just having it out there and having people being reckless um, is how you get these technical hurdles and figure out solutions to them. So I just wanted to ask a bit of a silly question here. Um, you would never probably see a routing node be a mesh network node. Am I right? <laughs> uh, well, no, it could be. It would be a routing node for... What, what do you mean by a routing node? Maybe I'm not quite sure what you mean. A node that specializes in being a routing node. So I would say that my lightning node, for example, is meant to be a routing node. Well, my main one is, and say maybe my side one that I have here at home is meant for just payments, for example. I see what you mean. Yeah. So there's sort of a terminal node, the one that you're just making payments from, but you're not expecting to keep on all the time, for example. That, that is, I would say, an important thing we're trying to incentivize is for people to actually run routing nodes. So that may be that it's your phone that you carry around with you, but it may also be that pe- some people will put them in their windowsill. You know, they'll have a fixed node in their windowsill. Um, connected to power. And, and that is a person who's hoping to actually, just like your routing node, earn Satoshis um, for what they do um, by running that node. So yeah, I think absolutely. That's the goal is to incentivize people to run these routing nodes. And a gateway is another kind of routing node. So that's somebody who's going to say, I'm going to be a bridge onto the internet for people. And, and I'm doing that because there's a demand for that. And I'll earn more Satoshis by doing that. But, but your terminal nodes, the ones that are just there to make payments, they might be sort of opportunistically routing nodes. When they're on, they'll be uh, opportunistically routing. And, you know, if it just sort of balances out the messages they send, earn them a certain Satoshis, and the messages they route, earn them a certain Satoshis, maybe they just sort of net out. But if you're a clever router, you know, now like your routing node, it's, it's uh, you know, which other peers you connect to, which channels you, you do, and your, your sort of liquidity management maybe is critical to being a good routing node. Um, there's one other aspect when you're dealing with a mesh node is where are you located? So you might be in the busy, busy in the middle of the city, or you're you're some you know in a mountain pass. <laughs> People want to get over that mountain with their data. You know, that, there's different aspects that I imagine will will be important for people running a mesh routing node uh, versus somebody who you know having constant power versus somebody who's running a kind of current routing node for Lightning. If that makes sense. It does. I 
I, I, I feel like it's a pretty easy picture for my brain to paint of a future where, you know, I have my node here at home. I decide to make it a, a misrouting node by connecting, you know, my Gotenna here, for example, and, you know, just getting more interoperable, let's say, with the people that are kind of local to me and might want to make payments. But I would assume that if you're in the middle of a city, you're not going to have a a great use case. You're going to want to be, you know, at the edges, you know, where, like you were saying, the kind of mountain pass sort of thing where, you know, it might have difficulty without you, let's say. So that seems like a very interesting future where people just have, you know, maybe Lot49 built into one of these node operator software packages, like my node Umbral or whatever, and just have that be something that they do out of the box. It's it's very fun to think about. You could also think about, like, you've got a, a Wi-Fi router, and maybe you've plugged in your Go10Mesh to your normal Wi-Fi router. You know, that's your, your mesh node now. Um, so people who connect, you know, who are nearby, maybe they connect over Wi-Fi. People, and then you you're connecting from there further to the to your other cohorts that are you know that that are connected via the Gotenna. So if those are going to be longer range connections for those. So there's a whole lot of things, and, may, and maybe there's even there even could be um, you know I don't know if you're familiar with this project called uh, Althea. Uh, they build uh, and there's a new NYC Mesh. There's a bunch of these that build Wi-Fi networks, and they. Um, they have their own token, Althea does, um, unfortunately. But you could easily do this with Lightning, too, where you're just paying for these sort of fixed connections, these long-range but Wi-Fi fixed connections. So it'd be like, you know, you're not just paying for an SMS message. Maybe you're paying for data, you know, like a real data connection, a real Internet connection, but um, you're just paying with Lightning. And, and the, the real difference there is that it's, it's anonymous. It's subscriptionless. And so you could imagine somebody who just walks by and connects via, you know, via a hotspot. And as long as they're able to pay via lightning for the data they use, boom, you know, they're, they're there without any sort of prior, prior subscription. So that, that's another thing that you can do sort of with the same technology. All right. Um, I just wanted to ask, would L2 make Lot49 better in your eyes or more usable for uh, mesh networks? In my sort of early research of this, and, and especially with this idea of reducing bandwidth, I looked a lot at what was required for the current Lightning implementation and um, had read the L2 paper when it first came out and came to believe that there are ways that you can do sort of these L2 payments in a way that's much more bandwidth efficient or, or you know, much smaller. Um, now, of course, L2 is still evolving, so some of these things may or may not end up to be true. But I was looking pretty broadly, but it's it's a bit, it's, it definitely simplifies the network. That's also kind of useful in this in this scenario uh, to simplify the way those the sort of symmetric payments are working. And uh, there's just various features of L2 that I think would be very useful for for this kind of communication. I mean, can't I don't know if I should get into the really sort of technical nitty gritty, but um, one thing that I, I I've talked about with others is that there is a potential way with L2 to send a payment where um, sort of imagine it's going in sort of one direction. You don't have to get the response like A is paying B and I send you my signature. I sign off on that that update to the channel, but I don't need to wait for B to send me back a signature. I mean, B is getting paid so I can rely on B to drop that channel information, to drop that update if it ever kind of gets to the network. And that isn't really true um, with maybe the way um, the Poon Dryas system works now. Um, you really need to have this sort of 
bi-directional, quite a, quite a lot of, you know, bi-directional communication in order to move on, you know, to say that that state is confirmed and you can move on to the next state. Um, but, but there are some ways that you can, and part of it is that you don't have the penalty if you send an old transaction, but um, part of it is the fact that you've, you've got these symmetrical transactions. So the fact that, you know, A and B and an L2 channel are signing the same transaction and, and spending the same transaction if something goes wrong. But in the Poon-Dryas system, they're not symmetric. So A and B have different transactions that they'll drop if things go wrong. I mean, at a high level, that, that's why L2 is better for a low bandwidth communication. And, and one other thing, I mean, I, I, this is maybe a little more in the sort of sci-fi realm, but maybe not now that we have, now that we have Taproot, uh, is the idea of um, creating these idea of channel factories, so multi-party channels. So in the case of the mesh, imagine everybody you can communicate, you know, five or six nodes, you can communicate with your radio, you could all be in a multi-party channel, for example. And that would mean that you only have one on-chain UTXO. So in the case of an expensive fee environment, um, you can do a lot more with that setup, which you can't do with the sort of poon system. You can't do multi-party lightning. So yeah, there were definitely some things that are better. I would love to, to jump into channel factories here for a second. I think I was going to ask you about that, saying, you know, how would that work out for <laughs> for Lot 49 here? But um, I find them fascinating. Um, what I think I find the most fascinating is the fact that, like, like you were saying, you can have this big multi-party channel, but you can also have sub-channels uh, on top of this kind of multi-party channel that are two-party channels, kind of virtual channels or sub-channels or whatever name you want to give them. Um, do you think this kind of flexibility that, you know, multi-party channel, while I guess in some sense it might be more complicated and all that, but do you think it would provide more flexibility and more ability for people that are on these, on these meshes to be able to kind of, um, operate in a way that makes the most sense for them because they are on a mesh network? You know, they, they don't have all the advantages of someone like me that's, you know, that has it running in the cloud or whatever the case may be. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you get any special advantages being in a mesh network. Um, I mean, it's just useful for anybody who wants to not always have to settle to the chain. But because you are off-grid, maybe there is a slight advantage because this is maybe the problem if you're in a true off-grid environment. So you're in a place, let's just say you're in, you know, Lebanon or or Venezuela where, um, you know, honestly, the internet can get just shut down for weeks. Um, That means that if you do need to close a channel you're going to lose your HTLCs because they will, um, you won't be able to get to the internet in time. But if you're only closing out one of your pairwise channels to a channel factory, well, as long as your channel factory partners are still around and still able to communicate over the mesh, um, you know, it gives you this sort of off grid way to settle them out. Um, now you still have the same problem. If your whole channel factory needs to close out, well, then you do have to get to the internet. At least you sort of in the back of my mind, the tentative way I see this working is your timeouts are something you can set. And the optimal timeouts are based on sort of what your internet environment is. If you can't get to the, if you can't reliably get to the internet on a sort of daily basis then, or a weekly basis, then those timeouts are going to have to take that into account. Um, but maybe your timeout for closing out to a channel factory will be shorter. And then the channel, then the timeouts for sort of your pairwise channels will be even shorter still. So this is a sort of parameters we need to discover what works, but it gives you a lot of flexibility to make those trade-offs and, and not 
I mean, that, that's usually the question people ask me when they talk about doing anything with Bitcoin over the internet or over the mesh is, well, you've got to have the internet. Because yes, you obviously do have to have the internet, but Lightning is, is a way to defer that. And deferring that also means you're deferring your need to access the internet. Um, and I see channel factories as just one further way to defer that need to go on chain and to actually hit the internet. I think it could be useful for the, that reason for sure. Would you say that you like the idea of channel factories in general, or maybe said a different way? Do you do you think that the potential issues with channel factories, maybe their complexity, their their trust factor, et cetera, won't be as big of a deal in reference to the things that channel factories would give us? Well, I mean, I think all the downsides are probably still there. I mean, you still have this problem that if your peers in the channel factory aren't available to sign off on an update, you know, that's going to cause you to hit the chain again. So, um, and so, you, you know, that'll have to evolve, but it creates another reason to use channel factories. That's, that's what I would say is, is you've got this, this reason of just deferring getting on the internet as being one other, other reason. Um, so I, I think that that just incentivizes people to play nice because they want to keep the channel factory. So they, cause they have this sort of group that is able to, to do things without the internet. Before you, you had kind of mentioned what I guess you were calling pay messages, if if I remember correctly, um, when describing like Sphinx chat and related uh, chat messaging programs. Do you want to kind of briefly let me know what you mean by that, by uh, pay messages? Well, it's basically using using the Lightning Network as a incentivized messaging protocol. So this is what Sphinx chat uses it for uh, in some ways. The, the key there for mesh networks is just a way for these routing nodes, what we talked about earlier in the gateway nodes, to earn some Satoshis for forwarding messages, but not just for forwarding payments, but for actually forwarding text. Um, so that, in the case of sort of the current protocol, is, is wrapped into the onion that's sent along. Um, we would probably do it somewhat differently, or, or maybe not. I mean, we probably do it somewhat differently uh, over a mesh network, although... Um, if we're routing differently, then, then you wouldn't put it in the sort of routing packet. The idea is very simple. It's just that, you know, I'm a routing node if, and, and I will collect an HTLC uh, if uh, the data that I was sort of promising, to not just the payment, but if the data I was promising deliver to deliver uh, is delivered. So that's the, yeah, that's the whole concept right there. I really like the idea of being able to have, you know, these mesh devices and have them in case of an emergency, have them for, you know, potentially routing, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think, I mean, I think the answer is yes before I even ask the question, (laughs) but do you think it's going to be a very difficult time to actually pitch this to anyone that doesn't already care about mesh networks or Bitcoin or Lightning in general? Yeah, I mean, for sure. In the Western world, you know, we have very good data and you know, data connectivity, and we, we don't often, you know, actually, hopefully never see our internet shut down for political reasons. But just like Bitcoin, I think where we're going to see more interest is going to be in places where those aren't things you can count on. Um, so, uh, like recently, I was talking to this um, Lily from, from Lebanon, and there's a lot of interest, you know, or she, you know, she was very interested in doing this in a place like Lebanon, because you know, they don't just have necessarily political censorship, but they also have power outages. And they have a lot of reasons why sort of bootstrapping a Bitcoin economy in this really damaged country is going to be more challenging. And uh, Venezuela is another place that, you know, that could be useful um, 
and and they worry, you know, the, the big worry there is isn't just that you may run out of power, but you know, you've got other problems and that, you know, like maybe these devices aren't allowed. So it, it you know, it's there's this there's both reasons it could happen in those places and, and reasons that it's challenging just for the reasons that they're having these problems. Um, so, but I, but I think that's the appeal in those places is a lot, a lot more, um, sort of immediate, um, than they are here in the Western world. But of course we're much wealthier here. So that's the other reason that people, um, are able to sort of bootstrap it and sort of play around with it. And there's, there is a lot of interest in Bitcoiners. I mean, when I talk to people about this, people who are, you know, really understand the threat model of Bitcoin, um, you know, they want it just like they want to run, run Blockstream satellites. They also want to run a mesh network. And I, and I, I think that's, I think we'll see development in both places, both, you know, sort of developing countries where they have a lot of problems and also in the Western world, but mo- mainly around enthusiasts who are doing it more sort of from an altruistic standpoint, just, just like, you know, the reason people run lightning nodes initially was more and probably still a little bit more for the altruistic reason uh, and just creating that. You don't necessarily need full coverage for these things to have an effect to resist censorship. If you have enough, almost like the threat of an alternative network is in some ways enough to prevent the censorship that you're trying to prevent. Just because like, if you could imagine in Hong Kong, if there had been a robust mesh network, the authorities would just know they couldn't shut off the internet, um, then, they, then they wouldn't shut it off because they know that it would be ineffectual. Yeah. So those are, those are factors that go into sort of how willing people are to run or to experiment around with this stuff. Would you say that the the Bitcoiners or what have you running these mesh networks might be doing it in order to prepare for a kind of adversarial environment that may or may not come into existence later on? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, that is the reason you would do it is you would run it. Uh, well, you would run it for a future adversarial situation, but you would also potentially run it for your own privacy. I mean, obviously, the connections you're making over the Internet could go through Tor. And this is sort of like an even more hardcore tour. You know, if you actually are running over radio, if there isn't somebody sitting there with a snooper, they, I mean, even if they are, it's just going to be encrypted radio communication. They don't even know who you're communicating with, like directionally. So, um, you know, if you really want to go hardcore privacy, um, having alternative communication channels is very useful. I mean, uh, just to give you a concrete example, and this is something that Bitcoin tries to fix in other ways, but, you know, you have, you want to make a payment via even layer one Bitcoin. So not even talking about Lightning. There's a lot of technology that goes into Bitcoin Core to make sure that it's not obvious where that transaction came from, because you don't want a particular transaction to be associated with your IP address. So Dandelion is one technology used to sort of obfuscate where that comes from. But Mesh could be another one. You know, if, you're, if your transaction flies over the Mesh and hops three or four times and then comes to an internet-connected computer, then that obfuscates, you know, what IP address made that transaction. So that's the kind of day-to-day privacy that you can get. And, and for Lightning, you know, that's also true. Um, you know, maybe having a few channels over, over mesh could help obfuscate, you know, give you something that isn't tied to your IP address, you know, if other things get sort of compromised. After you developed Lot49 and put it out there, you know, showed it off, I'm sure, um, what was maybe the internal opinion at Gotenna or, you know, about the stuff like do you think that i'm not sure about the ceo but just people in general you know saying oh wow yeah this would definitely incentivize me to run a mesh um device did you see much people kind of jumping onto the idea or was it just a general oh the cool that's a cool idea but never do anything kind of further than that 
Yeah, maybe more the latter. I mean, uh, at least with, within Gotenna, I mean, like I said, I was sort of the primary. I mean, I was the only one who was really focused on this technology, um, although we did bring in some other people sort of externally. Um, and everybody thought it was cool. And, and, and I think there were a few Bitcoin converts during my three years there. So internally, it was always sort of well supported. Um, but as far as the sort of larger Gotenna user community, I think it was a, I think it was a little obscure, you know, like it, basically the, if you weren't a Bitcoiner to begin with, I think a lot of people weren't, um, you know, they weren't focused on that and they, and they, they didn't really see the appeal. That was my experience. I mean, I, I still think we haven't quite solved this problem of, of how to kind of bootstrap people to do it. And it's, it's, it's a challenge. I mean, it's a challenge with any complicated technology, I think. And I think the only way to really solve it is to reduce it at least to a simple prototype that people can actually run without much effort. Um, you know, that's sort of maybe the next step for us is to get something that you can just sort of one click install on your phone, connect to your Gotenna, and then be part of this network in some way. You had kind of mentioned before what the kind of next steps were. You need to get this app built and things like that. Um, do you have any kind of foundation laid out? So if I said to my audience here, here's a, uh, an action item you can take to go ahead and make this project uh, uh, happen. You know, do you have any like like a list of things that people could do to kind of encourage you or to encourage the project, kind of push it along, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, I've got a few things on GitHub, so I think that's you know that's a place where people can contribute. I mean, that's the advantage of it being open source. And I should have mentioned this at the beginning that I'm working with two other Bitcoin developers on this. And um, actually, the three of us got a grant from the Human Rights Foundation. So we have been supported by uh, the Human Rights Foundation earlier in the year. So it's, it's myself, um, Fodi Diop, and uh, Will Clark. And we're working on different aspects of this, the three of us. And um, I think, you know, Will is mostly working on uh, the layer one part of it, trying to make low bandwidth sort of layer one transactions. And Fodi is working on the app side. And I'm my thing is would be more on the protocol side. So the, this is the AnyPrev out and L2 work I've been doing this year. Um, but all those projects could use more developers. So if anybody is, for instance, interested in Android, maybe, you know, maybe they're mostly an Android developer and they, you know, they're good at that. Um, you know, the Bitcoin side of it is sort of something we can fill in. And likewise, if you're more like interested in Electrum, that's one thing we've been looking at, sort of creating a, an Electrum interface over mesh that would just be a way to support the sort of layer aspects of the lightning protocol over mesh um, so there was a lot of stuff um, I, I don't have a good roadmap but I would say anybody who's interested in this I can certainly find things and that's generally how it's worked if somebody's interested I'm just sort of the person they you know if they see what I've done then they, they get in touch and we usually talk and find some aspect um, that they're interested in working on and that, that that would be useful to push this forward that's it I think if anybody's interested in for example uh, building on the LDK, that's sort of the next phase for the Android app is to integrate that into this this app that we have sort of prototyped out or you know, sort of sketched out. Um, so if anybody wants a sort of concrete thing they can build, that would be one one thing. But I, I mean, I, I like that you asked this question because that's, that's what we need is we just need more people who want to volunteer their time to push it forward. And there's so much out there already in the in the Lightning and Bitcoin community. It's it's mostly just sort of Lego blocking it together and then making a few changes. And that's uh, you know it takes time, but it's it's not like you have to build everything from scratch. There's quite a lot out there that we can repurpose. Uh, just need to just spend the time to do it. Basically, is where we're at. 
So let this be a call to action for all those people out there that, you know, you, you want to help in Bitcoin, you want to help on Lightning, you want to help with kind of privacy in general. Contact Richard, you know, get uh, on top of this Lot 49 thing, add whatever you can, even if it's just typo edits, you know, on the GitHub. I'm not sure how much you would like that, but... Oh, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but just generally, like, if you have some kind of design aptitude, I'm sure you guys could deal with uh, some of those folks, maybe a little early for them, but... Um, Regardless, you know, I'm sure if there's anything you could do to help, contact Richard and I'm sure he'll help put you to work for you. Yeah, thanks. That's yeah, that's absolutely what we need. And, and that's that's how things get built in Bitcoin generally. So just uh, just need more of that. Kind of reaching towards the end here. I wanted just before we moved on from lot 49, I wanted to double check if there's anything else on lot 49 we should hit before I go into more general questions here. Uh, no, I think you hit most of it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, maybe we're going to get to this next or, or I can mention it next is in that sort of call to action. I've been working on the trying to help push forward what we need for L2. So I've been, I took, you know, taking a look at what, um, Christian Decker and AJ Towns have been doing and trying to implement that. So if anybody else is sort of interested in that, uh, I really hope that's also something they'll get in touch about because we're at a really sort of exciting time for those, uh, those proposals. Yes. Um, if, if anyone's been paying attention to my last couple of shows, they'll know that it's been pretty much me talking about any prev out and L2 <laughs> over and over and over again. Because, yeah, I think those are some of the most important uh, uh, changes and improvements since Taproot. Absolutely. I feel like saying this, and please correct me if you disagree, but um, would you say that uh, BIP 118, any prev out, is almost more important than Taproot? Ah, that's a good question. I mean, it really, I wouldn't say it's more important. I mean, the more, I, I wasn't that up in Taproot when, when it first came out, and I had a lot of opportunities to, but looking at BIP 118, it's sort of forced me to really understand Taproot. And, um, you know, it's it's really pretty pretty dramatic, um, the things that it brings to Bitcoin. But it, But it's all, you know, it's all building on itself. So 118 is even more powerful because Taproot exists. I guess that's uh, that's what I how I would at least phrase it. But um, I mean, you're probably thinking of I'm I'm pretty narrowly focused on L2 and and what what L2 gets from any prev out and Taproot combined is is better than what we had when we only had sig hash no input, which is the sort of segwit version of any prev out. So that's why I think that yeah, if you're looking at yeah, you you really got to look at it as a progression. <laughs> that's how I see it. Right. I would, I would agree with you. I think I was just giving you a hard time there. <laughs> yeah. But, but I, I do want to say one thing before I forget. And that like one thing that I, I promised you that I would announce something. And this is the thing I want to announce is that I've managed to code up uh, at least a very initial version of all the transaction types that you would need to do L2 with any prev out using the current BIP 118. So it's actually, um, you could say, there's sort of a very early, very early version of L2 possible now. Um, this isn't just theoretical. And um, anybody who finds that sort of exciting, um, sh I will be putting out a blog post shortly that kind of describes my journey to try to do this and, and, and hopefully explain it in a way that other people can, can also be, be joining in on this, uh, this journey to, to make both any prev out and L2 as sort of a, a, sort of a one-two punch uh, possible in the, in the near term, I hope. 
So yeah, um, just for reference, this is going to uh, air in three weeks or so. So I'm sure you will have already posted this blog post. We'll have it in the show notes, but I'm sure we'll have already retweeted it and made it a big deal on our <laughs> uh, Twitter page as well. Cool. Yeah, I know it's a lo- been a long time in coming, but I've learned a lot. And I, and I, I think the only way to learn this stuff is to try to build it. That's, that's the cypherpunk way, but it's also the, the pedagogical way to learn a lot of this Bitcoin stuff. Yeah, I would I would agree. It's like one of the big reasons I decided to start a podcast is I was not able to mainline information <laughs> fast enough. So I was like, well, let me just go try to talk to the experts directly and uh, just interrogate them for an hour. And uh, maybe we can learn a little bit faster and kind of get more involved here. Um, well, great. So I'm 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 looking forward to reading that blog and uh you know, seeing, you know, what people do with that stuff and how we can expand this thing and get this thing moving a lot faster. Because I remember this thing like years ago and I'm like, damn it, whatever happened to Lot 49? I was super <laughs> excited about that. Then it just faded. But like, as you've laid out here in this episode, I think it makes a lot of sense why it's not quite there yet and why we need a bit more assistance, a bit more bodies just working on it. I think I think the other thing I was going to say is is we were just too early too. I mean, the Lightning Network network was just spinning up when we started, so a lot of this stuff has sort of organically grown just for Lightning. You know, Lightning has matured a lot, so I think we're in a really good place to push it forward now. I guess I'm glad that you were kind of early because I would rather you be early than trying to do this in a decade. <laughs> You know, and so just doing the hard work, having it be kind of ignored for a while, I think is pretty similar to what Bitcoin had to go through. So why not you? So I I think I'm I'm pretty encouraged by this. I'm encouraged by the fact that hopefully some people will hear this and, you know, like, oh, man, I need to get to work and help out uh, Lot 49 and Richard here. But I want to go ahead and take a step back here. We kind of talked about all this, you know, the kind of more focused on Gotenna and all this other stuff. Um, I think you mentioned that other project that starts with an A. Althea. Althea, thank you. So, you know, those are probably the two big mesh network projects that I can really think of as Goten and that one. Can you think of any other kind of mesh network projects that stand out or maybe just talk about the mesh network ecosystem generally? There's actually quite a few. I mean, mesh is is a lot like, uh, you know, like digital cash. It's something that sort of captured people's imagination for a long time. So there are various ones out there. Uh, I mean, there's one that I was just sort of revisiting today was there's something called the, um, oh, shoot, now I just forgot the name. But um, it's in based out of San Francisco. I think it's called the Danger Radio or something. Yeah, Danger Radio, I think. Um, I'm just looking up. But uh, yeah, so that's, a, that's built on a low raw radio system. It's got nothing to do with Bitcoin at all but they're trying to build this sort of off-grid way for people to communicate in the case of an emergency, but also from the ground up. So that, you know, that's sort of interesting. Other projects that are not strictly mesh-related, but yet still kind of related to off-grid communication, is there's a lot of interest in creating this idea of uh, low-Earth orbit satellites. So not, and I mean, you can see Starlink is one of those examples, but for, for sort of high-bandwidth data. But there's a few projects out there that are for low bandwidth data. So it would be, I guess you could say, like a satellite mesh. And those, um, this one in particular is uh, Femtostar or Femto. Yeah, I think it's called Femtostar. Uh, And they, you know, they're just sort of still spinning it up and and 
creating a proposal. But I think uh, they've got the great idea that you can basically um, do everything open source. So just like we're trying to do everything with Mesh for Gotenna uh, for the sort of Block 49 network open source, they're trying to build an equivalent sort of thing, but but on a satellite uh, base for a satellite network. Um, so those are those are a couple projects that I've been interested in recently. But but there's a lot, and there's a lot of technology for like mesh routing. And I mean, once we get into this, there's quite a lot of deep knowledge that we can tap from other areas. I think. Just kind of looking towards the future, do you see the future of mesh networking kind of more like that we see the internet uh, today, kind of just everywhere and ubiquitous and everyone use it, uh, maybe even if they don't know that they're using a mesh network, et cetera? Maybe. Yeah, no, that's a hard question. I mean, they've got this real trade-off between power and bandwidth. And, uh, you know, I guess the the vision I would like to see is I would like to see so even though maybe say Gotenna is low bandwidth now, if you can bootstrap people to use this sort of network initially, um, you could imagine it scaling up to higher and higher bandwidth until you've basically got a bootstrapped uh, mobile network, you know, mobile data network that's just like what you have now. But instead of paying T-Mobile or AT&T, you're paying with Lightning just other people who are around you. I mean, that would be the real ultimate sort of far vision is that you could bootstrap, um, you could bootstrap a high bandwidth network, not just you know, not just a low bandwidth network. Um, that could, yeah, that could be ubiquitous. That that would take the place of the sort of centralized networks. Just like we talk about getting rid of the centralized banks, be your own bank. We, we could be be your own communication network as well. Um, and I think that's the far vision of of what this could evolve into if if people want it. You know, if that's what people want. And I. I do think that given the way things are going, both with banking and communication networks, that is something people will want, both for privacy reasons, but also just for sort of sovereignty reasons, to not have to deal with the problems they deal with now. Not to go too far down this path, but do you think that technologies like Bitcoin, Lightning, mesh networks are going to disintermediate the state to the extent that they basically become irrelevant or redundant? Well, that's the dream. I mean, that's the that's the cypherpunk dream to some degree is to disintermediate and get rid of, uh, you know, any centralization that is unnecessary. And you, there's definitely a lot of unnecessary centralization in our current society. Um, whether we get that and get there in my lifetime or not, I don't know. But it's it's a it's a goal. You know, it's 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 decentralize all the things is is a good mantra and something people should be striving for, I think, you know, when they can. And then to kind of just close off the show here, would you mind giving me your kind of outlook of where Bitcoin Lightning is gonna gonna end up in your estimation? Well, end up—that's uh, <laughs> a big question there. But um, I think the current progress we've seen in Lightning, especially this year, is really a good sign. I think it's really picking up steam, um, and and that's going to help with the more um, yeah, just sort of last mile adoption of Bitcoin. And then on the other side, just sort of layer one Bitcoin, we're seeing other other changes. I mean, Taproot is going to add a lot of privacy to a lot of protocols. And, and if we do end up getting um, any prev out soon, I think that's going to also help with a lot of um, off-chain, not just Lightning, but other. we're going to just see other that I can't even imagine protocols built on layer two. Um, I hate to say the DeFi word because I'm not sure that's really a good thing that we want, but but we will see, you know, we'll see a lot of, uh, you know, whatever is useful as a second layer, I think we'll start to see 
happening more and more. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a bull for sure. I'm bullish on it. Um, you can never predict the time frame for these things, but it's, you know, so, uh, slowly and then, and then suddenly, I think we're starting to see sort of suddenly in a lot of these things. Yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic. I mean, I, I don't think, I don't think a lot of what we have right now, um, going from a technology standpoint and a community standpoint too, just the development community. I don't think a lot of that's priced in right now. Um, as far as people's expectations, I think, I mean, maybe us, but, uh, just sort of other people in the world at large, I don't think they realize how, how far Bitcoin has come and, and will go really can't be more optimistic to be honest. Well, fantastic. I really appreciate you answering all those questions and joining me. Before we uh, let you go here, would you mind letting the listeners know how they can find you on the interwebs, please? Sure. So on uh, Twitter, I'm R.E. Myers, M-Y-E-R-S uh, underscore. Um, so feel free to, to just drop me a message if you want to talk or chat about this stuff. Um, I'm also at, uh, I just created a website, so it's pretty rudimentary. But if you want to go to yakshaver.org, that's where I'm going to be putting up links about sort of the work I've been doing and what we'll be doing on Lot 49. Uh, and of course, there's also globalmeshlabs.org. So that's more a little, a little marketing looking, but it has all the links to what, what we've built with uh, Global Mesh Labs too. So that'll get you to the right GitHubs there. So yeah, those are, those are three places. Perfect. Well, Richard, I really appreciate you joining me on the Lightning Junkies podcast. Thanks, Chaz. It's been a lot of fun. Boom! That was the 48th episode of the Lightning Junkies podcast. I am hoping that this episode inspired you or gave you something to look forward to with Lot 49, Mesh Networks, Gotenna, all these things. Go out there, contribute to Lot 49, contribute to Lightning Network, contribute to something, you know, make the world a better place and all that. Don't forget that every Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. UTC, we will have a Lightning Network discussion on Twitter Spaces. We also had a very special Twitter Spaces this on this most recent Friday, the 13th, where we had Rusty, Stefan, and others join us for the topic of Bolt 12 for podcast creators and content creators generally. I think this is a very important thing, Bolt 12, not only for me, but for podcasters, for content creators, you know, and that's why we had this Twitter space. You can find the recording for this episode on lightningjunkies.net or just by going to our YouTube, YouTube forward slash lightningjunkies. Other than that, I don't have uh, too much else. Please support the podcast by listening to us on Breeze Wallet or any of the other value for value apps you can find at podcastindex.org. That's it, you guys. Get out of here. What are you still doing here? I'll see you on the Lightning Network. <laughs>